Navigating the Datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Hey, and welcome everyone to episode three of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley, and today we're talking. We're going to talk about data lakes with Danil Zburimski. Sorry, Danil. Hey, Danil, how's it going? Good. How are you, Chris? I'm good, thanks. Um, let's get started with uh, introducing yourself to the audience. Could you give me the you know two to four minute overview of of your career and what you've been up to? Uh, sure. So uh, right now I work as the director of big data and data science uh, at uh, Pythian, and uh, basically being responsible for the team who does all the big data related, data lakes related projects uh, uh, here. But uh, my career is uh, like it always revolved around data and open source to some extent. Um, so I was a MySQL DBA for for a long time. I did some consulting in that space as well. Um, and was leading teams of different sizes for for those types of technologies. Excellent, excellent. So, um, do you just uh, I'm, I'm really interested in the technology. Do you, could you give me the very brief stack that you're most familiar with? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's easy when it comes to like things like Linux, MySQL, uh, Python, Java, Scala type of uh, programming languages. It gets really nasty when you go into open source big data projects because there's at least several dozens of them. But really Hadoop and everything around it uh, and equivalents of Hadoop in the cloud, uh, which I guess we'll talk more about today. And uh, different providers have different offerings. Okay. But from a high, from high level perspective, they're all kind of Hadoop related. Okay, great. So um, let's let's. Um, although I don't want to be too basic, I do want to start at the beginning, just in case um, those listening don't really have you know aren't too familiar, and also to set kind of standards of what we're talking about. So let's. Uh, what what is a data lake? Um, nobody knows. <laughs> That's one of those terms. Like, uh, well, I think we settled down around NoSQL already, right? So NoSQL, if you say it's people start to get an idea of what it means. It's the same, I think we're going through the same process of understanding what a data lake as a term means. And uh, if you ask 10 different people, you probably will hear 10 different answers. Uh, what I like, the way I like to think about it is um, a data lake is a central repository for all the data that organization uh, needs. It either owns that data or it's a third party data but any data that's required for operational analysis, operations or analysis for, for the given organization, um, kind of data lake is the repository for, to store and process that, that data. It's, uh, yeah, I know it doesn't make it any simpler when I say it like that, but uh, yeah, let's, let, let's for simplicity say it's a central repository uh, for all companies' data with a relatively easy way to access and process it. Okay. Now, um, when we talk about, when we say a central repository for all uh, companies, all of a company's data, um, does that does that really mean all data? So are we talking about, say, if I had a call center, the recordings from the calls with the, you know, the customer reps and the customers? Is it just written text-based data? Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the types of data? Uh, I think the easiest way to think about it, it's, it, it needs to be machine-friendly data, so something that you can process uh, with the 
frameworks that are available. Um, like the big promise of uh, the data lake in comparison to let's say enterprise data warehouse is to be able to host structured and unstructured data. Uh, unstructured data is another term that I'm not super excited about. Um, but uh, for example, yeah, the calls from customers in binary, sure, are good candidates uh, for the data lake. Transcriptions of those calls, even better because they can be machine accessible. Okay. Uh, there's still a layer of data that I think doesn't, we haven't still figured out how to deal with. Okay. Google spreadsheets, Word documents, uh, do we like sp spreadsheets, Excel spreadsheets, and uh, presentations, PowerPoints. That's all information, all data, right? It's, uh, but it's human, it's kind of, uh, uh, it was designed for, for human consumption, not for machine consumption. So those type of data we don't see very often in um, in data lakes yet. Okay, okay, but that's something that's coming. Um, I think so. I mean, there's no reason not to think it would be a placeholder for everything uh, that a company has. It's just a matter we haven't figured out easy enough ways to uh, to make it machine readable. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because, um, and it's it must be coming soon because if I think about my consulting experience, you know, mo many companies have these like Microsoft Access database empires where yeah. the people have like just built on their own and innovated uh, spreadsheets with links to thousands of other spreadsheet, you know, this pyramid that sometimes payroll or accounts payable or these things run on. It's It's really quite scary, but there's a lot of information out there. Um, stored sure. in those ways. Um, okay, so uh, now that we've established what it is and what should stay, what can you know be there, um, I heard you talk about the data warehouse. So is the main differentiator, if it's structured and fits easily into a conventional relational database management system, uh, it you know it it goes in the data warehouse, and if it doesn't, it goes in the data lake. Um, that's a most Typical architecture design that we see these days is a combination of both, right? So uh, it's an enterprise data warehouse uh, that hosts, let's say, kind of traditional uh, dimensional models for the data uh, with the reporting and BI tools attached to it. Um, and the data lake sitting in front of the data warehouse being like an aggregator of all the data and only feeding data warehouse with, with subset of that. Um, that thinking is evolving because of the evolution of Hadoop and related technologies, and a lot of the data warehouse workloads can be shifted now directly to the data lake, so less and less stuff needs to go there. Um, and that obviously simplifies the architecture, simplifies uh, the, the design. So if I were to build a new platform from scratch for someone uh, right now, like today, um, that's probably the approach I would take, is data lake needs to absorb most of the workload, like analytical workloads. Uh, and uh, only in some extreme cases we will need to go into kind of um, classical data warehouse type of uh, type of scenario. Okay. Um, what I mean when we I know that you're a Hadoop guy, but when we talk about data lake, does that instantly mean Hadoop? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it's uh, let's say maybe three years ago it it, it totally meant Hadoop. Uh, because that was the only available solution to, to this type of problems. Um, I think these days a lot of things change because there are, let's say, either alternatives to Hadoop or things that uh, um, you call them Hadoop, but really they have nothing in common with, uh, with the original architecture. 
Uh, when you're still thinking about on-premise solutions, Hadoop is probably still the key, right? I mean, there's a little, um, basically there's no other open source available tech uh, that can give you this scalable storage uh, that is the fundamentals of, uh, of a data lake, right? You, you just can't afford being limited in storage. There's no way. Because then you start thinking, okay, well, do I put this data in or do I not put this data in? So um, the scalable storage and the multitude of different um, processing framework that can work with that storage, uh, which Hadoop originally had MapReduce, now there's Spark, uh, and uh, there will be more things, uh, and there are things built on top of Spark and things like that. So, like, yeah, if you're still thinking data centers and on-prem, Hadoop is probably the only solution right now that, that makes sense. Um, but cloud kind of changes it, like the, the whole attitude because implementing a data lake on the cloud doesn't mean that you need to use Hadoop at all, or you can use it like as a very thin layer for very specific purposes. Because storage in the cloud, like Amazon has S3, Azure has Blob Storage, Google has Google Cloud Storage, right? So these unlimited storage capabilities are provided by the cloud, like cloud provider by default as a service. So you can use them. Uh, you don't need to use HDFS, for example, um, and Obviously, a lot of the processing framework, like MapReduce or Spark, um, they already work natively with those type of storages. So essentially, you're kind of getting rid of uh, uh, storage layer uh, on Hadoop, and you only use the processing frameworks, which you can argue are still Hadoop, but uh, uh, for example, Spark hasn't yet. You can just run a standalone thing with it, right? Um, so yeah, cloud changes it quite quite a bit, and obviously, services like uh, uh, Google BigQuery or uh, Amazon Redshift or uh, Azure Cloud Data Warehouse um, allow you to have the scalable uh, SQL engines as well, which was another part of what Hadoop played, right? So that was people use it for when they were moving the loads from enterprise data warehouse into data lakes. Uh, there's a series of projects which does exactly that. They give you a distributed SQL engine to query data on the scalable storage, but now you have Cloud storage, you have services um, like platform as a services solution that allow you to query those uh, the data on that storage um, and not having any kind of maintaining any instances or clusters yourself. So conceptually, you can still use portions of Hadoop in the cloud, but in reality, you're just using the approach and philosophy, right, of, of a data lake, but you use a completely different set of tools to implement it in the cloud. Okay. It sounds like um, a fairly complex uh, makeup. Um, how can customers understand the tech stack? Like, and it's really challenging on a podcast because you know we're trying to explain this to the people. But you know, Spark does something, MapReduce does something very similar, but something's newer than something else, and and there are a number of technologies. How can customers or anyone interested like understand their options and how they fit together? Is there an easy way? No, there is no easy way, and it's not that technology is really hard. It just there's like again, there are dozens and dozens of projects. Some of them doing similar things, especially if you start looking into streaming uh, uh, frameworks. There's quite a number of them, and they do exactly the same thing. And cloud providers when they see something that is really popular in the open source community, they usually start to say, can we turn it into a platform as a service? So then there's a layer of cloud providers giving you similar 
options, but with the platform as a service. I guess the way, the only kind of recommendation I can make is uh, you need to bucket different technologies into where they belong in the stack. Usually what I like to think about is the ingestion layer, the storage, processing, and access. So like four buckets. And uh, when you start kind of pulling the technologies into each bucket, you can say, okay, uh, Cloud Store, let's say Azure Blob Store belongs in storage, but Spark is a processing engine uh, to transform the data. Uh, but I can either access data using Spark or I can access data using a more traditional kind of SQL interface uh, if I load it into the Azure Cloud Data Warehouse. So you put that into the access layer. And then you kind of fill those four buckets and then it becomes kind of making more sense because you can cross out the duplicates and say, okay, these two technologies actually do the same thing. Um, like, I don't need to have one processing technology at this stage and another one at this stage, right? You probably want to have one. But uh, yeah, it's still, yeah, if you're not familiar with the space, it's, it's quite a challenge to, to navigate in, um, in that realm if, uh, yeah, if you're just starting, starting out. Yeah. It, um, yeah, it really sounds like there isn't, aren't, you know, some customers might wish a one-stop shop, just, I want to pay, just, you know, I want to pay for something, give me an architecture. Um, you know, one of the advantages of, say, SQL Server, for example, not that I'm saying it, it's an advantage over a data lake, but one of the selling points of it as a product is it comes with all these things. You know, it's got reporting, it's got storage, it's got, I realize it's not a, you know, a competitor for unstructured data. Um, so I can see that, you know, that is kind of the way I see it. It seems like um, the market just needs to mature. As the market matures, maybe those things will come together. Is that something that you're seeing? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think what will happen is that, I mean, the variety of open source technologies probably will not go away um, significantly. But again, if you look at the NoSQL market, right, uh, four years ago, I was seeing like a dozens, dozens of different data, and they still exist. But then you can, you can for sure t say right now there are two big players, Cassandra and Mongo, in, in that space, right? I mean, obviously people will say, what about this, what about that? But if you look at the market in general, those are two, two major players. I think something similar will happen uh, with Hadoop and the data lake uh, technologies, but um, um, I don't see that slowing down yet. Um, what I see uh, and what I think will happen, especially for the cloud deployments, um, is that there will be more and more standardized architectures about how things should be done in the cloud. So people, it would be easier for people to say, okay, I want to achieve, a, like, a build a data lake, and uh, there will be a templated environment or a solution or a solution from a third party that you can take and deploy on the cloud because it's so easy. Um, uh, you, you, you don't have to mold it into any problems that you have in your data center or type of hardware you have. They're pretty standard. So, and it's all... Uh, in the cloud, the infrastructure as a code is the name of the game, right? So essentially a template could be um, a set of scripts that roll out the environment for you. And that's where I think in the cloud the standardization will happen is, is that this templated uh, prepackaged architectures uh, that people would use. Okay. And if you had um, a blank canvas um, to build out architectures, do you have like a list of um, you mentioned four buckets. Do you have um, kind of some preferred technologies that you like to use together? Uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> the interesting thing here, it's, 
it will be a separate set of things for cloud and uh, on-prem, for sure. And uh, it would be even different set of things from cloud to cloud. <laughs> so from, on a different cloud provider, you would use um, a, a, a different subset of tools. Um, here at Pythian, we, like, again, let's kind of focus on cloud, I would say. Uh, On-premise is still a big topic, but frankly speaking, I think we see I don't have the numbers on top of my head, but let's say 60 to 70% of new implementations for data lakes are cloud-based. Mm -hmm. And I only see that number growing. Um, so, like, if we are looking at the clouds, um, here at Pythian, uh, our, our team is, is, is really big fans of um, Apache NiFi as our ingestion layer. Um, it's, uh, it's not a very popular tool yet for data ingestion, but um, and probably sits in the similar realm as things like Pentaho and Talon-D, uh, but it's like a new generation of, or a new iteration of the same principles uh, because it's cloud-native, it has a lot of connectors that support Hadoop, HDFS, uh, and uh, Spark and things like that, and uh, it also is built with an idea that um, streaming and batch are kind of interchangeable so you can easily use the same tool for streaming and batch data and not having two different tools. So it feels more native to, 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 the, to data lakes than, than other solutions that we have. So that's our preferred way to ingest data in, especially if it's batch, it doesn't require um, real time, though it can be achieved. Um, and uh, yeah, I would say, again, in the cloud, rely more, mostly on kind of native services as much as you can. So, for example, in very, it's very unlikely that a new implementation that we will build uh, will have uh, 100 VMs running Hadoop distributions on them in the cloud because it's not efficient. Um, you can achieve similar, usually you can achieve similar results by, again, instead of HDFS, using the cloud storage. Um, and uh, for processing, Spark is, is the default choice. Um, I might produce, uh, you can say it's already a legacy technology in general. Um, and uh, when it comes to data access about how data will be queried, um, again, depends on the cloud provider. I'm a big fan of the platform as a service solutions. Um, well, Redshift is not entirely a platform as a service, but we can, for that. the sake of this conversation, we can, yeah, we can consider it uh, that. So Redshift, Azure Data Warehouse, or BigQuery uh, for, the, for the access layer. Um, so that would be a kind of the really basic go-to set of tools that's, that we would do to roll this out in the, in the cloud. Okay. And what is the decision criteria for deciding whether to go into the cloud or on-prem? Uh, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to say because for each company is different. From my perspective, there is really no reason to not go into the cloud right now. Like, it's really hard for me to um, find any aspect that might prevent you build, especially if you're building something from scratch and it's a data lake uh, that requires the scalability, reliability, and processing capacity. Like, it's really hard to, to do this on-prem uh, because, like, every time we deal with projects that, let's say, we need to build a Hadoop-based data lake for a customer, um, every time it's on-premise, it's literally six-month cycles to get hardware in place, right? Mm -hmm. And I can get you a running platform within weeks if we are talking in the cloud. So, like, just that difference 
makes makes a lot of change. So to beat that, uh, you have to really have compiling arguments to not go there. Like the only concern and, and uh, like the only le legit concern that I hear from from prospect and customers is some of the preferred. Let's say they have a preferred cloud provider and either their services is not available in specific region or they can't guarantee that the data will reside uh, within a region. And I think pretty much all the cloud providers address that problem already. Mm -hmm. There may be some regions still left where you can guarantee that the data will be pinpointed geographically to that location. Right. Uh, and that's usually the legal constraints that's, uh, uh, um, that, that are driving this. Other than that, it's really hard for me to imagine why wouldn't you want to, to do this in the cloud and, and do it on-prem instead. Yeah, that's one of the conventional, that strikes a chord with me because that's a what I call a conventional way of thinking that is going away. Um, and case in point, I have built some Hadoop clusters to play around with or, or aspire to. Uh, and I say that because, you know, I spend hours building, installing Linux and then, in, and then installing the relative components on, you know, four to eight nodes in my own kind of playground. And it takes me days. Uh, you know, and I mess around with keys and get it all working, maybe, yeah. whereas in 15 minutes, and I'm not saying that this is the best way, but it sure is convenient. In 15 minutes, you know, I can have uh, HD Insight 4-node cluster or 16 or whatever built, you know, and then I can concentrate on learning the technologies rather than learning how to install the technologies. Yeah, to do that. No, yeah, that's, that's true. And again, in the cloud, you can use our infrastructure as code approach, like using something like Terraform uh, and prepackaged templates to just say, I want a Hadoop cluster of five nodes and uh, just get it done in minutes. So yeah, tons, tons of benefits there in terms of velocity. So in terms of um, conventional ways of thinking that we should abandon, um, are there any other? So I gave you that example. I'll give you another example, and then I'll and then I'll ask you for uh, any more that you might have. Uh, I did have a Hadoop conversation with a customer two or three years ago, um, and when I spoke to them about it, the, one of their first questions: This person was a DBA manager and a DBA by trade. You know, they said, "How do I back it up?" And I explained how we don't and how we structure data centers and whatnot, and um, redundancy and that was a conversation ender when i when you know we couldn't like do transaction log restores and and uh when we got onto that and then we got on to like well does it run on windows servers and well sort of but at the time it wasn't really it was paying the the vendor was paying lip service to windows mm -hmm. servers but you know it wasn't really it's like running oracle on windows no yeah they'll do it but <laughs> not many people do it yeah. um so that was that she this person had to get over that conventional way of thinking to think about how to use Hadoop and implement Hadoop. Are there other kind of conventional ways of thinking that we thought that way up until the year 2010 or so and now we don't think that way anymore or shouldn't? What like what should we uh, change about our strategy? Well, yeah, when it comes to to data lake design is um, I would say the paradigm shift that's happening right now is thinking that uh, enterprise data warehouse needs to be a tightly controlled and guarded system as opposed to open and flexible system. And it's really not the, it was really a limit, like it's, it, it's part thinking and part technology limitations, right? So if you 
don't have unlimited storage capacity, if you don't have unlimited processing capacity, you have to choose what goes in and what doesn't go in, and who gets access and who doesn't get access. Uh, and with Data Lake, uh, what uh, I'm trying to encourage people to do is to think about, it's an open concept, right? It's a design where we want to have all the data, and I want to make sure that everybody in the company has the data, has access to the data they need uh, to do their jobs well, and that's the place to get the data from. So, and uh, yeah, so this 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 is what I think is is the big shift is to uh, not think about okay, we we'll build this data lake, and there will be a data lake person who like whose job would be to control what get, gets in and what doesn't get in. I mean, architects are still important, designs are still important, data governance is still important, but the guiding principle is uh, data democratization, basically. Data needs to be available when you need it um, and in the format that you need to do your job well, right? So uh, that's, I guess, the conceptual change that I'm, that I'm seeing. So um, really great points in that last uh, paragraph. Um, you know, the concept of free and open data, if there's a compliance person listening to this podcast while they work out, they just might have flown off the treadmill because, you know, that's what <laughs> keeps them up at night, right? Free and open. Uh, is it doesn't secu- mean all security, right? I mean, <laughs> well, that's I where I'm going. That. <laughs> it, but um, so is there a mature security matrix available to protect and safeguard the, the data? Yeah, uh, there, there definitely is. There are definitely best practices, and uh, uh, when Hadoop went enterprise, and it kind of again moved from the purpose of analyzing web uh, web logs into analyzing financial data. Uh, obviously, Hadoop vendors made huge investments over the past, uh, um, let's say, three to four years in security. So Hadoop security is pretty mature these days. Uh, I don't say it's easy to configure and, uh, and implement, but it's pretty solid uh, from a perspective as Kerberos and all the project that supports uh, roles and uh, uh, access uh, uh, kind of permissions and access uh, limitations. I, I think it's, it, it, it's solid. When it comes to understanding of how your org structure maps into uh, who can see what data, that's, I guess, where um, we, as an implementers of Data Lake, have to work really closely with stakeholders and security organizations inside the companies that we work with, and see how to uh, how to do that transition. So when I say the data is open for all, uh, I said the data that you need to do your job. Like I don't say I, I didn't say that the data like all the company's data is available to you uh, all the time. No, like the data that you need is available and. It's uh, and it's a transition because if you need access, like let's say you need access to sales data, but you don't have permissions to read it, but data is there. So giving you access is literally flipping the switch, and it's not like okay, now we need to build the whole ETL to bring sales data because previously we were concerned about bringing this into data warehouse uh, because of security constraints or something like that. Okay. Now the term. Uh, okay. So before we move off of security. Is um, Active Directory integration common in the data lake technologies? Yeah, yeah. When you when you talk security, uh, Kerberos plus Active Directory, that's the combo that we see um, for on-prem solutions and Hadoop-based solutions. Okay. Uh, the cloud security is probably a good topic for your 
another podcast because it's such a few discussion and it's completely unconventional if you try to do cloud native solutions uh, the approach to security is really different okay. it's uh, like there, there are a lot of interesting things because there are services there are infrastructure as a service components and you need to make sure that the security is reconciled so it's not less secure uh, than the let's say on-prem but it's a totally different mindset that you need to have to, to get it right Right. Yeah. And I've never, yeah, I, I, I agree there. It's, it's the approach, the concepts that are different, not that it is less secure. Yeah. And I wanted to really just underline that because I don't want anybody to run away and say, they said the cloud's not secure. That's, you know, <laughs> it's certainly not my feeling. Um, that is not. <laughs> so, and uh, so in what, in what you just talked about, is it still common for IT to manage to be involved or, or the, the company's security group, if they have a separate group, is that still common? to have them managing these technologies? Uh, I would say it's, uh, yeah, it's it's common for companies to make sure that their security departments uh, are involved in, let's say, review and design of the security strategy for, for the cloud. Um, managing it, it depends on where the data lake belongs in the, any given organization. Usually it's, uh, it belongs closer to analytics um, and BI departments, and um, uh, yeah. So the question of who manages it, you, I mean, IT is still involved. Like you can't, you can't get away uh, uh, without it. But uh, it really depends on how much are they involved. And in uh, cloud uh, architectures, I would argue that so the involvement of IT is less and less. Well, it's not the less involvement; it is involved at a very different level. Um, right. So, like from managing permissions in a VM to thinking about how you're gonna deal with elastic scalability and permissions for everything, every single service that you have in the cloud, things like that. Okay. Um, and you touched on something that I'm really interested in, but as I look at the time, I I think it deserves its own podcast, and that's data governance in the cloud and data lakes. Is that a thing? Is that is that people think something that people are working on? Does it still apply? Big topic for enterprise, for sure. And uh, it applies, I would argue, that it applies to data lake even more than it applies to traditional data warehouses, where it's already kind of controlled through uh, data warehouse architects, uh, through schemas and permissions. Um, in data lake, where you have data in multiple formats coming from different systems, and there are lots of people who need to consume it, uh, this topic is as important as, as ever, for sure. Okay, let's let's plan to have a, a separate discussion about that one because I, I really want to dig into it. Um, the term data lake doesn't imply a lot of organization, but I suspect that's probably one of the leading causes of failure uh, is a lack of organization and metadata to be consumed. Because if I don't know how to consume it and I'm spending lots of money for it, you know, I'm going to ax that pretty quick if I'm looking to save money. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's... Uh... Like, uh, the whole data lake and big data industry is relatively new, right? So I kind of, I'm lucky to see how it evolves from, like, over the last several, like, five to four years. And, uh, let's say, four years, everyone's just talking about Hadoop and designs and architectures. And now, and that's what we as uh, Pythian kind of saw, right? Uh, the type of the request that we saw is, okay, help us understand what, what, it, what it is, how we can use it. Uh, and these days, it's not common for me to hear things like, 
okay, we build this thing, and the data is there, but like we have no idea how, what to do with it, like uh, how to organize it in such a way that it's accessible. So uh, yeah, like making sure that uh, the data lake is not only a repository where all data lives, but it also where like it also has an easy way to navigate what's in there, an easy way to for people to understand how to consume the data. That is the biggest challenge, and it's not even technology thing, right? It's understanding the domain of the data, it's understanding the business use cases, and through understanding the people, like the consumers of the data lake, because uh, if you think about the enterprise data warehouses, how, how is data consumed from there? Through BI reports, right? Usually, that's what people do. Uh, but with data lake, you can have similar BI reports uh, packaged and uh, kind of in dashboard style. Uh, ad hoc analytics is a big thing, right? So more and more BI tools give you ability to uh, drag and drop columns and dimensions and measures and slice and dice data uh, the way you like. So ad hoc is, is a big thing. For more advanced users, they just want to write a SQL query uh, to, to get what they need, and they want that interface. Then data scientists, they have the whole arsenal of tools they want to use, and uh, sometimes SQL is not, <laughs> is not one of them, so you need to make sure that those guys can consume data in, in, in the way that they like it. So being able to model data for each of that consumer, well, like for, for each of those types of consumers, and give them the formats and tools um, to do that is, is probably what, uh, what constitutes the core of the efforts of creating data lake. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's what we see most people struggle these days, is not to get all data in one place. That's relatively easy, uh, but to make sure that it's available and, uh, and can be consumed, because we've seen efforts where companies bring all the data and they tell the analytics team, hey, here's all the data, and nobody uses it because it's, it's not easy. It has to be easy. Like enabling the, uh, like having data in all, um, in one place is, is one thing, but people will not use something that's not native and easy to them, right? They will always fall back to old ways of doing things, and old ways is using spreadsheets and uh, extracting CSV files and crunching numbers on your laptop. Um, so, and that's, that's what we see all the time. Like, yeah, the tools needs to um, fulfill a, a given purpose and address the needs of the, of the consumers. Yeah, I'm glad you you brought that up. That's something I'm very passionate about. Um, since you know, very early in my career, it's funny that that we're still talking about this. And in fact, it's disappointing as an IT worker that we are. Um, we are very good at putting data in places, and then making it really hard to get. You know, like in around 2000, 2001, I remember working with some consultants from a big company, at, and I was a report writer. And like our users' number one frustration was that they couldn't get the data the way they wanted, when and how they wanted. They had to depend on IT and they had to ask and it would take months. We had to like figure out right. what they wanted. We had to have iterations, we had to test it and we had to give it to them. And we're still, it's, I'm disappointed that we're still trying to figure out how to do this. I know there are ways, uh, but it's not, it doesn't seem as common as it should be. And it's unfortunate that we're still trying to figure this out and I, I really, really hope like we have to get the responsibility away from it they don't want to do it the businesses don't want to ask for it the business people want to consume it the way and when and how and i'm really i really like the new tools that i'm seeing out there um to do this but they've got to go further and faster and and um 
Yeah, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, really what Data Lake, and nobody kind of thought about this, but really what Data Lake promise should be is improved velocity in BI. BI is still, as the practice, is a still rigid waterfall type of, uh, not industry, but like technology direction. Like a lot of the thinking there is still um, not iterative, uh, where you let's plan everything and do everything in one in one batch type of type type of scenario, and it's it's no different from like what software development went through right like 20, 20 years ago. So when it's uh, understood that uh, waterfall doesn't really work as well as <laughs> as everyone thought it, it it is. So really, the promise of Data Lake should be addressing the velocity in BI, and technology is just part of that. Like there is a process and. Uh, a component to it, and there's tools components to, to it, and education components to it. People need to to know how, how to do it. And uh, yeah, when uh, people complain about like failed data lake projects, I guess uh, part of the reason is they thought that velocity, like they maybe didn't even realize it fully, but I think the part of the hope was that the velocity of VI would improve significantly. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't, uh, they get frustrated. And that's when uh, you hear people uh, say that, okay, data lake is a failed concept. Uh, we need to move something else. We need to move to data virtualization, uh, to instant access to all the data. But it doesn't solve the velocity problem in any shape or form. What does solve velocity problem is a proper design, uh, because I think a lot of the um, data lake implementations, they kind of fail to recognize that you need to have a proper modular decoupled design to iterate fast. If you don't have that, you have a monolith, which is really fragile. You can't change anything without breaking something else. When you have a decoupled uh, a system where your storage is one thing, your processing is another thing, your access layer is a different thing, it's so much easier for you to change and iterate on each of those components separately and improve the velocity of new features delivered to business intelligence community. Uh, through that. So that, I think, is, um, is still an understanding that uh, like, will settle down in industry, and uh, um, I hope we will stop talking about failed data lakes, and we'll start talking about agile BI uh, approaches. So is that the main business problem or business benefit of, of a data lake? Is it, is it endeavoring for, to have um, BI velocity, or is it something else? It's one of the biggest, yeah. What, what would the uh, top, give me the top three or four. Uh, top three probably would be, I, and I like, let's say I'm a BI person, a consumer of the data. Um, for example, the top one, like the first one would be, I can't uh, get the data from two different systems in one place. I still have to go to two different BI tools and they can only see slices of the data, right? So the data silo. Uh, issue. Um, the ad hoc analytics is another one. Like I can't analyze the data the way I want to because the only thing I have is the dashboards uh, or email report that I get every week, and I want to actually drill into things and 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 do this uh, the way I want to do it. And BI velocity is probably uh, the third one. Is yeah, we need to have new features, and it's probably like I mean, this is the request coming from a higher levels usually, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like um, a CEO or a VP level uh, stakeholders, they need to get information faster. 
um, than, than they're getting, and uh, then it trickles down to uh, BI personnel, and uh, um, they need to be enabled through technology and process to, to, to get it done. So what would you say is the success criteria for a, a company's data lake? How do they measure success? Like, Clearly, as tech people, it's probably easy at a meetup group or over a beer to say, my success criteria is the amount of petabytes and nodes and processes, you know, fun techie stuff. But the reality is the business doesn't care. The business wants the business's success criteria is something completely different. What, what is how if I'm if I'm a CIO or a director of IT, what is the success criteria that I should implement uh, use to measure success? Uh, I would say the success criteria that really matters is does it make people's life easier? Does it make easier for people to do their jobs? Because people are willing to do awesome stuff with data if you give them the ability to do it. Uh, so the success criteria for the data like implementation is does it enable people with data? Uh, does it make their life easier? Uh, I know people like to talk about insights and how the business can benefit from insights, but people create insights. Right now, yes, there's machine learning, but it still needs to be, there's still a group of data scientists who needs to make sure that that happens. So like really the, the only thing that matters is can we enable people with data uh, to do what they do best is create knowledge and create insights. Do you have, so I really like that, um, but it's not what we would call a smart goal. It's not all that measurable, uh, at least on the outset. Do you have sure. uh, something you use to measure that? Is it either number of reports or number of tickets or complaints, or is it, how do we relate that to numbers to measure? Because uh, just, but, just to finish, as the director of IT, I'm not going to go interview all of the users and say, hey, is your life better or not? And right. I can't quantify that for the someone, you know? How do I quantify it? Well, I mean, there are multiple ways you can do that, right? I mean, velocity is a pretty well understood metric. Um, so, like, how many new features uh, can you produce uh, in, a, in a given sprint or in a given amount of time? Uh, what is the complexity of those features? Um, like, time to resolution or time to data. How long does it take for me to, let's say, a new data source appears? How, how fast can it be made available to the, to the consumers? I mean, there's tons and tons of metrics around this, uh, but they all revolve about how easy it is for people to, to, to access and work with the data. Okay. So, um, yeah, while does it make your life easier is uh, kind of is a very generic term, uh, it's pretty easy to quantify it uh, with, with the known tools. Okay. Um, so we've talked about the success criteria and top three business drivers. What are the top three or so failure, causes for failure or failure reasons? Well, yeah, I, I think we kind of touched on that previously, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it's the hope that Data Lake will magically resolve your problems, um, so which not, it doesn't. So, not properly setting expectations. Yeah, not properly setting expectations is one thing. Um, not identifying the use cases that we see quite a bit, like people come to data lake implementation projects just for the sake of data lake implementation projects, and it's not clear even who will consume the data, mm. uh, that that's probably won't, won't, like that project won't lead to too to long. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah, like the uh, lack of uh, 
like taking the open for all concept to extremes and like completely eliminating the governance and the modeling and the control layer and making a day like a mess of uh, jobs and queries and uh, files spread all on HDFS which nobody can can make sense. We've seen environments where there were literally several thousand scheduled jobs because everyone could just come in and, and, and schedule one and keep it scheduled uh, and people left the company and the jobs were still there and they were still running and there was no way for people to tell if I stop this <laughs> what will break downstream because like five six thousand of jobs is a lot of information for uh, uh, for, for people to, to kind of reason about so the lack of control and the lack of uh, yeah, this kind of governance uh, lay on data lake is it, it, it is a challenge as well in, in many cases. Okay. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to speak to you about uh, that in a, in a future episode. Um, so one of the things that the cloud does is it makes it pretty easy for just about anybody to spin up just about any type of technology at a relatively low cost. How do I know um, when I should have my own IT department messing around, playing around, and how do I know when I should involve an expert? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I, I guess the answer to that is, depending on where you are at, in your journey to, to kind of uh, get in the, 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 or become data enabled and get in your data lake and give an access uh, to the data to your staff. So depending on where you are in your journey, you can, uh, either prototype things quickly within your staff um, and just get a feel of uh, what, uh, what, what the solution might look like. But really, uh, what, what we see is there are different levels of complexity, right? So let's say there is a simple use case of getting, I keep referring to processing log files. It's still a big, a big chunk of what uh, kind of Hadoop system, systems do. Uh, if you just need to process web stream and calculate statistics, from that, from a single source, uh, and you have a capable software engineers in your organization, cloud makes it really easy uh, to just assemble a quick uh, data lake, uh, stream the data in, or batch data in, like if it's just text log files, uh, those approaches are pretty common. And that's where you can just implement it and, uh, uh, and, and see whether you're getting the insights or information that you want within your staff. Uh, but there's, and again, I hope I, tr like I try to convey this message through the podcast. There's a different level of complexity, right? There's a logical complexity. It's really, it's way harder to reconcile the data between HR, sales, marketing, uh, procurements, uh, operations, than it is to process several petabytes of data in the cloud these days. So when your challenge is to make sure that the information from the whole company is, 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 is kind of modeled and presented in a way uh, that makes sense to, to the consumers, um, that's where that different techniques are required and that's where really the ex experience and expertise matters. Uh, that's where you need someone who've done that before uh, in a similar scenario and who knows in which way the data may be consumed uh, at later stages and they know the, the best approaches to, to, to those things. So that level of complexity, I think, can only be addressed with um, uh, with expertise these days. Okay, uh, excellent. Um, what, 
and so lastly, um, what do you see as the blockers of adoption? Uh, actually, I have two, uh, two more questions. Um, what are the typical blockers to adoption for, for the customers? We had met, talked about one being uh, a requirement for data, data sovereignty, excuse me, where data can't flow. Are there any other, com is, that the, is that number one and are there a couple more or what are you seeing? Um, I would say the biggest blocker right now for companies who don't have any cloud strategy is to have a cloud strategy. Because like the data lake is the most obvious kind of choice uh, to, to implement on, on the cloud if you don't have a cloud presence yet. Because it's, uh, again, from all the reasons that we're talking about, scalability and easy uh, to, uh, to install the kind of platform as a service solutions. But it's also an isolated blob, right? The data flows in and data is consumed on the other end. So it's easy to separate that and say, this is our data lake, it lives in the cloud. And uh, it doesn't, uh, it all integrates with the rest of the systems through pretty well-known channels. So if you don't have a cloud strategy for you, it's really hard to move into that direction because if you need to scope out, procure, install, cable in servers in a data center to just get started, uh, that's a challenge. I mean, it's really hard, unless there's a really strong business need with a specific number of potential return on investment attached to it, uh, it's really hard to move those projects off the ground, right? Right. Uh, when cloud, it's 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 easy and it's no brainer. Right. Okay. Um, and on the subject of data lakes, do customers typically come to you and say, "Hey, we know we need a data lake. We want you to talk about how we build that and implement it." Or is that part of a solution? You're solving some other business problem, and you say, "Hey, you need this to help with that." Uh, usually people have a sense that data lake is the direction when they start, like basically if they know what their problems are, um, they kind of already have this uh, at least approach in mind. So like if they say, okay, I can't get uh, the data from multiple systems in one place, um, they kind of realize what would be the, the answer from, <laughs> from our end is you need a solution where all the data can be, uh, can be available. But there, and those are, I, I would say, like, dominant uh, use cases that we see with our prospects. Uh, but uh, yeah, sometimes you need to dig a little bit deeper and actually people think that their problem is X, but in, the, in reality their problem is Y, so you need to say, um, yeah, you thought that uh, your data warehouse is slow and you just need performance optimizations, but in reality, uh, if we unwrap it, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that's happening inside there which doesn't even belong there, so maybe we should just move it to the data lake scenario and things like that. Okay. Um, are there cases where you talk a customer out of implementing a data lake and, and adopt a different technology? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we've always tried to find a best solution for the use case. And uh, um, if the use case is to take a CSV file and build a dashboard on top of that, uh, you probably don't need a, a complex technology to, uh, to do that. Uh, but uh, it's... Uh, it's less and less so because even the data volume is not as critical uh, for, it doesn't have to grant, like you don't have to have huge amounts of data to grant a data lake, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you just need to have a lot of different data, like a different, different types of data uh, to, uh, to, to, to make sure that it makes sense. So yeah, simplistic scenarios probably can be addressed or prototyped with the, with the known 
uh, tools like relational databases and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, less and less common for people to say no. There's like there's no need for for you to to use this. It's uh, I would say the I more often than not say you don't need Hadoop specifically because you can do it in the cloud with different tools and different uh, approaches. Um, because I know the complexities of managing systems like that, so that I hear myself saying quite a bit. Okay. Um, well, this this talk was really fascinating for me to know, I, and um, there were a couple of things that we touched on that I, I would love to speak to you again about. Um, data governance and cloud security and possibly cloud strategies are, are definitely um, the top three that came to mind. So um, in the interest of time, I am going to move us into the lightning round. And that's where we ask you a couple of quick questions uh, and get to know you just a little bit better. Um, so I'm going to rapid fire ask you a couple of questions. Just blurt out the first thing that, that comes to mind. And uh, are you All ready? Right. Yeah, let's go. All right. OK, so it doesn't have to be a data lake uh, related project. But what project are you the most proud of in your career? Um, I would say it's it's a data lake project for sure. It's a project that we built for, for a music streaming company uh, based in California. It was a really fascinating project. And I'm a big music fan, so I used that myself. And that, like, using the system that you contributed to building is, is probably the best feeling. Yeah, I, I agree. I love seeing that. Um, what is a book uh, or publication that has the has made the most impact on your career, and why? I uh, can't really name a single book or that uh, that made such a huge difference. I, I really lost, but uh, um, I like to read their like journals and memoirs of uh, let's say <laughs> software developers from the past <laughs> when the world was simpler, but the problems were still challenging. Uh, that really kind of opens my, my mind to the, to the new ideas and that I, that I enjoy quite, quite a bit. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, standing or sitting desk? I see uh, you sitting, sitting right desk. now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm lazy. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you do most of your work on a laptop or desktop? A uh, laptop. I don't even uh, have a desktop anymore. I haven't I had, had a desktop. I don't even know for how many years. <laughs> <laughs> I made that jump uh, years ago myself. Um, Mac or PC? Mac. Okay. Uh, Android or iPhone? iPhone. I'm an Apple fanboy. Given the headset. All right. Um, what is the best tool or app that you use the most? Um. <laughs> no, no I, I, live in, crush. <laughs> I, I, I live in North Scotia, Canada, so Weather Network is <laughs> the most important app that I use on my phone because I need to know when we get snowed in or when there's a real nasty Atlantic storm coming, coming in. So. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, it, it's been great getting to know you. Um, Danelle, if people want to contact you directly or follow you or find out more about you know what you have to say, where can people find you? Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my last name's Bruski is probably well. You will need to put it in I'll the, put in the show notes because you will not be able to spell that. Uh, uh, so yeah, I'm on Twitter or email me at bruski@pitten.com. I'm always willing to chat on anything data related or anything technology related. Do you really. blog anywhere? Uh... I do blog on Python uh, platform quite. Uh, 
well, I want to say quite a bit, but it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, to do more of that than I do right now, but uh, uh, yeah, there's, there, 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 there's some, some blog posts there as well. Okay, excellent. Um, well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. The biggest compliment you can give us is by writing a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find us, and telling a friend about us. What did you What did you think about the interview today? Do you have questions that I should have asked Anil? Are there other topics that you'd like to hear from him about? Um, you can email us at datascapepodcast at gmail.com to get in touch. Until next time, have a great day. Navigating the Datascape.